What's up, brother? You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast with me, the Hulk, 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 Hulkster. I'm just kidding. It's your boy, Brandon Harper. Today is Sunday, January 17th, 2021. And it is amazing outside. Unfortunately, I'm sitting inside, but I've got all the doors and windows open. So if you hear outdoor sounds, you'll know why. For those of you who are listening for the first time, you have found the Life in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job who has a bunch of opinions and thoughts. But in today's world, it's not always best to share them. So I come here once every week or so, and I take my thoughts from the previous week, and I put them all out there. So welcome. If the name is confusing to you, and you think to yourself, what does this have to do with paradise? That's okay. You're not alone. The first half of this podcast was from San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua, where I lived, worked, and played. You fast forward a few years, I took a break from podcasting, and I'm back in Corpus Christi, Texas, I'm a co-owner and operator of a brewery called New Oasis Brewing Company. That's N-U-E-C-E-S. Let me give you a hint. When you go to name a business, don't pick a name that you got to spell every single time, which is what we did. No, we knew what we were getting into, but it is kind of frustrating because everyone goes, New Oasis, N-E-W, and I go, no, 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 no. So I just start spelling it from the get-go. Anyway... You didn't come here to hear me talk. Well, maybe you did, but not about things that don't matter. Well, maybe you did. Anyway, sit back, relax, and listen to me ramble for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. The great news is it's totally free for you. We're gonna do what they say can't be done. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm Eastbound, just like a bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal, some never mind them brakes. Let it all hang out cause we gotta run to make. The boys are thirsty in Atlanta and there's beer in Texarkana. And we'll bring it back no matter what it takes. Eastbound and down. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound, just watch your bandit run. people what are we in uh two weeks two and a half weeks into 2021 and guess what 
It's no different than 2020. Y'all fools think that a calendar page changing gonna have an effect on anything. Nope. Things are crazy as ever. And it's it's funny to me how we we take years and we think that they're going to be different from one year to the next. And it's all really just one one big group. We just put these arbitrary dividers, you know? And I see all these people that are saying like, oh, 2021's just gonna be so much better than 2020 because 2020 was the worst year ever. Yeah, I know, it was bad, but the things that haunted us in 2020, they haven't gone away. So, so maybe Trump's going to be out of office, and if you think that every single thing that happened in 2020 was because of Trump, I can't help you. You're on your own. But keep in mind that most of the things that went awry, nothing's changed. You know, we, we have to get out of the mindset of just thinking that, like, oh, well, it's a different year, so things will just naturally be better, right? I mean, yeah, you have screwed up years and you have normal years, but the actual year doesn't matter. It's just... It's just a continuation of the day before. All it is is trips around the sun. Things that go wrong have nothing to do with trips around the sun, unless you believe in astrology and all that stuff, which I don't. The biggest hurdle that we have to overcome, which I've said before, is the ability to disagree without being disagreeable. And once we figure that out, the rest will fall into place. We won't have all these riots and looting and murder and protesting and signs, and it's just one thing after another... All because we don't know how to communicate our disagreements to each other. You know, I used to get so furious when I'd be somewhere with friends and there would be, uh, you know, we would have a heated discussion about politics and it would always end fine, you know? There's always one person who would be like, Don't talk about politics. Stop talking about that. Are you guys still arguing? Don't do that. There's always that person. But other than that, normally we've always been able to, or at least I have, have been able to separate our feelings from our political discussion. For whatever reason, that's changed, and now people are becoming more emotional about things. I don't know why, although I wholeheartedly suspect it's the media and social media. Either way, I used to say all the time that there's nothing wrong with discussing politics or things that you have opposing viewpoints on. You just have to do it respectfully, and no one can take it personally. And while I used to be the kind of person who would talk about politics or... Anything with anyone, anytime. I'm kind of changing my outlook. I'm kind of now. I'm I'm labeling people that I think are not capable of of having these discussions, and I just simply won't have them. I won't. I won't talk about it. I won't engage because it's not worth it. You never come to an agreement, and if if you're not willing to listen to their idea and they're not willing to listen to your idea, you just might as well walk outside and beat your head against trees. Because the whole idea of discussing something with someone who has an opposing viewpoint, well, there's two reasons why. Either you want to convince them to see things your way, or you're willing to hear them out because you might end up seeing things their way. And in my case, most of the time, you're not going to change my mind. If it's something that's brand new and just come out, I'll say something like, well, I don't know, I haven't learned much about it, but let's talk about it, you know? But I'm still willing to have the conversation because I want to know what people think. It... it it's fun for me or it's enjoyable to hear the opinions of other people. And, you know, there's two kinds of people out there. There's people who actually listen when there's a conversation taking place. And there's a kind of people who, who are just waiting for the next break of, of dialogue so they can furiously spew their points out. 
and they interrupt you. And I've had, I had this exact experience last week with a guy. And I'll tell him, I'll say, dude, you have to stop interrupting me. And once it gets to that point, I've let it go too far. I should have ended the conversation. Let's talk about cars. Let's talk about dogs. Let's talk about barbecue. Let's talk about beer. Let's talk about marbles. Let's talk about cigars. But no more politics. Because you, not you, the listener, but you, this person I was talking to last week, you are so strong in your ways and your, your mind is so made up that you're not even willing to listen to, to my theory. And, and then I'm just wasting my time. I always talk about how valuable my time is. Well, if someone's not even willing to listen to me, then that's it. I don't, I'm not going to invest my time on that topic anymore. And I'm finding that there's not many people who are capable of actually having a discussion without being emotional. It's, it's becoming less and less. But personally, for me, some of my closest friends have diametrically opposed viewpoints. And those friends are, are highly valuable to me. Not only because they're close friends and I can count on them for, for anything that I need, but it's because I trust them and I value their input. And I know they're not idiots. But I remember specifically thinking when, when I was talking to these people, you know, my friends that, are, that have opposite viewpoints as me, I remember thinking like, I'm an outlier here. There's way more of them than there is me. I need to be respectful. I need to explain to them my viewpoint and not become emotional. You know, the, the whole idea of negotiating um, in, in politics in particular is, is taking two polar opposite wants and finding middle ground to meet needs. And, and that's what we're losing today. We're, it's becoming so divided. And, and I know that like, the word divided is subjective and it's becoming overused. I get that. I'm going to touch a little bit more on that later. But, but for now, I want to just encourage everyone just to leave, leave the emotions at the door. Try to discuss the topics without feeling a certain way. And believe me, it sounds easy, but it's not. It's not because I, in regards to this capital storming thing, you know, I've tried to be, no, I have been. I have been more objective in this whole thing than I have on anything in a long time. And I'm seeing the signs of people who aren't. In people's heads, it's clear as day. If you voted for Trump, then the storming of the Capitol wasn't that big of a deal. And it, it was just no different than the uh, Black Lives Matter protests. If you voted for Biden, the storming of the Capitol was an incite of violence and someone who tried to overthrow the government with violence. And they cannot break down the facts to see that maybe there's something more involved. It's it's been very very telling to me. I'm not glad that it happened because it it saddens me that we've come to that point. But uh, I've learned a lot about people. And, and for the record, for those of you saying, "Well, you're not practicing what you're preaching because you're sitting here saying that you know it wasn't a big deal or whatever," you're taking a side. No, that's not true at all. I have not taken any sides yet. I'm still waiting for the facts to come out. They got a lot of people arrested. Um, there's still a lot of data to come out. So I'm not one of these people that has to jump on a team the second something big happens. I think that's a, a big mistake because once you do that, once you pick a team, you, your mind will never get changed. You know, um, just like the guy, I can't remember his name, but the, the case recently where the, uh, was it Blake, I think, where the guy was running around and he ran back to his car and the cops shot him. I mean, before the blood was even dry, they had the cops hung. And guess what? The jury heard the evidence. They didn't even indict him. 
Not even an indictment. But yet, you have people that had already decided he was guilty before they even knew the facts. So, I don't know. I would also encourage people to try to just take some time and don't, don't jump on Team You or Team Me uh, before everything's out there. You know what's dying? Comedy. Comedy is dying. And I know some of you have probably heard this before. But I want to run through a couple things, a couple little scenarios. So recently, a buddy of the brewery went down to watch um, one of the SpaceX rockets take off from Boca Chica, Texas, which is down around South Padre. I don't know why SpaceX launches their missiles, or <laughs> not their missiles, their rockets from there, but they do. So he went down there to watch one of the rockets launch, and it was a bad day. So they didn't, they didn't do the launch. So he took a picture of it, and he photoshopped our logo onto the rocket and sent it to us. Well, we thought it was pretty funny, so we posted it on our Instagram. Hey, I'm telling you, when people say, oh, if I believe it on the internet, it's real, this was proof that that is true. The whole place went nuts. We had comments saying, wow, this is amazing. Oh, let me back up a little bit. So with the post, we posted the picture, and then um, Kale, my business partner, put, put a caption on the Instagram post that said, um, exciting news. Uh, SpaceX has selected Noasis Brewing Company to be the official beer and barbecue supplier for the men on the first mission to Mars. Totally a joke. I mean, just totally made up. But I'm telling you, it got some traction. It had like 25 Facebook shares in the first two hours. I mean, it had like 70-something comments on Instagram. And it was like... Way to go. Congrats, guys. We knew you could do it. All the hard work finally paid off. And on and on and on. My phone is blowing up. I get a message from um, a girl that's the president of the, the downtown management district. She's like, hey, um, is this for real? And I, and I go, yep, it's for real. I said, yeah, I have a cousin who works for SpaceX, which is 100% lie. But I said it was real. And then uh, the news called the brewery, and they wanted to come out and do an interview. And I wanted to keep going with it, but I don't know. Someone at the brewery thought it wasn't a good idea, and we can't lie, and we can't spread disinformation. I'll keep my frustrations to myself, because the person who made that decision was not exactly the right kind of person to make that decision. Either way, I wanted to keep it going. The city manager had heard about it. Like, everyone had heard about it. I was like, this is our chance. We could get Elon Musk. Maybe he will see all this hype, and maybe he will do it. He'll take our beer and barbecue to Mars. I could see him doing something like that. But no, the word got out that it was just a hoax and everyone needs to relax. And so even one of the people who told me that, oh, you you should, uh, you really should put a post on there saying that that's a joke. And I'm thinking, why? Why should I do that? Just because I don't want someone to, to think that it's real? I mean, what's the worst case? Hey, we're not talking about like the the world's coming to an end post and hey, there's an asteroid coming for earth. We're talking about, Hey, this rocket may take some beer and barbecue from this brewery to Mars. Like that has no effect on anyone's life whatsoever. But people are so worried about offending people and spreading disinformation and misinformation. And I don't even know the difference, but I know that everyone's worried to death about it. Once again, instead of figuring out how to decipher what's real and what's false, Everyone wants someone to do it for them, but that doesn't, my whole point is that comedy is dying. 
And so I think that comedy is dying because of this politically correct movement and this whole, like, we don't want to spread disinformation movement. It's got everyone terrified to do anything that's funny. And, and the whole point of comedy, well, there's two points in my opinion, but the, one of the points is that you are, someone is always the butt of a joke, okay? Someone is the, the reason why people are laughing or something or some instance or some event. So there's always a butt of a joke. And if that's offensive to you, well, sorry, but the joke probably wasn't about you. It was about that situation or someone like you. And you have to choose to be offended, I know, I'm getting a little bit worked up here. But you know when the Inquirer and the Globe and all those, you know, those phony magazines first came out? People probably thought they were true. And what did they do? They didn't ask the government to step in and put a filter in place and to determine what's real and what's not. Why didn't they? Why didn't they do it then? I don't know. I don't know. But they definitely do it now. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if those tabloids get shut down. Within the next two years, maybe three, people are going to say, like, it's just not going to be, it's not going to be considered humor anymore. It's going to be considered misinformation. There's a bunch of comedians who used to go around to colleges and do like a, a college night on campus. They would sell tickets, turn around and pay for a stadium. The school would make money. The uh, comedian would make money. But now there's so many like woke groups that are running comedians out that they're not even willing to go on tour anymore. They don't want to get canceled. And it's such a shame to me because people act like they don't have the right to not listen. You know, it'd be different if you were, they were chaining you down and making you listen to this humor that was so offensive, but they're not. You have the right to listen or not. And, and, and we're getting to the point now where it's like, well, if this person doesn't see things from the way I see them, then they are incorrect and I must silence them. And if you don't believe that's true, just give it some time. Just give it some time. Pay attention to why things are getting canceled, what's going away, and people's reasonings for, for canceling things. You'll be surprised. Okay, moving right along. I mentioned earlier that um, it's no secret that everyone keeps talking. And I want to say whining, maybe a little bit of whining about... How polarized we are. We're just so polarized. We're so divided. We're so divided. We're so polarized. We're not. We're only polarized online. We're only divided online. Where we, when we're in person, as long as we're not surrounded by our teammates, we're not divided. We're scared. We're scared to say what we think. Unless we're surrounded by our teammates, then we'll say it. So what I predict that, that you will see sometime within the near future is I think we're going to see... Uh, different types of committees and groups being formed that create unity amongst political lines. So, for instance, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, within X amount of time, there becomes um, various groups who represent either the Republican or Democrat side of an industry, right? So I could see somebody calling the brewery one time and saying, um, hello, my name is Blake, and I'm with the uh, Republican Brewers Group, you know, or the Democratic Brewers Group. And um, we would like for you to pledge your commitment to our group. You know, basically confronting businesses and people too, but groups of people mainly, and putting them in the position where they have to choose one side or the other. Now, does this mean we're going to lead to a civil war? We all shoot each other in the backs and we're having a 
fight with our neighbors? I'm not saying that. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to lead to. I just try to predict out as far as I can. But if we go back and we look at things and we look at some of this behavior, you know, uh, people or groups demanding that businesses come out and say, say their opinions, say how they feel, come out and, and take a knee for Black Lives Matter, or, or if you don't, then you hate Black Lives Matter. Um, no, dude, this is not how this works because not everything is black and white. Not everything is one or zero. Not everything is A or B. So the notion that we could put people in a position to either say we are for or against fill in the blank, there's a lot of caveats that need to be used. And then what do you think the next step from that would be? Um, hey, here's the, uh, here's the Republican Brewers Guild sticker. Just go ahead and stick it on your window. You know, that way everyone knows that you're, you're a solid guy. You come from the right. You're a Republican. And then what happens then? All the Democrats don't go there. And I miss the days whereby the business transaction ended with, I give you the product, you give me the money, we go on about our ways. Now it's entangled with all of this social justice and social opinions. And it's funny, this is, it's all social things. No one ever gets in fights about fiscal policy. We never argue about what to do about interest rates. Secretly, I think that's because one side of the political spectrum doesn't really understand fiscal policy. Nobody really fights about the tariff. Remember that? Remember how big that was? And the Democrats never had a word to say about it. All the Republicans were mad because, well, we don't want tariffs on products coming in. And unless it's a policy whereby money is being distributed to people for whatever reason, typically we just argue about social issues. Occasional socialized medicine. I, I consider that more of a social issue than a, than a fiscal issue. And you know what? Politicians are smart. Well... Maybe that's not the right word. Politicians know what it takes to get voters. And so they speak a language that the voters can understand. And if they use things that are subjective and that are based on feelings, then what does the listener get to do? The listener gets to decide between two things. Either we do this or we don't do it. And so the, the intricacies of the, of the details oftentimes go unnoticed. Because, like, let's just say that there's a bill up for... Uh, to be signed into law, and they're voting on it. And this bill is, well, whether or not we're going to give free breakfast to um, elementary school kids. Well, naturally, that sounds like a great plan, right? Who could say no to that? Who could say no to supplying breakfast to elementary school kids? But then, if you get into the details, you see that there are some flaws. Let's just say that they're allocating $25 per meal per kid. You would think that is way too high. Or let's just say that they had to pull the money from somewhere that you didn't agree with. Let's say in order to supply the breakfast for the kids, they had to take the money out of the budget for the library or the computer budget. And so while an idea may sound good, to implement that strategy may be bad. So when, when politicians want to appeal to the people who vote on social issues, they simply present the most basic, most generic form of an argument so that they get the most support as possible. I hope that makes sense. I don't know if I did a good job explaining it. If not, email me and I'll, uh, 
I'll detail it out a little bit more. But my whole point is that everything is not black and white. Everything is not, there is no with or for all the time. Sometimes you have to be against something that sounds good because the details of how you get there are bad. And so with the things like, oh, take a knee and support BLM or you hate BLM. No, there's more to that conversation than just taking a knee or not taking a knee. But going back to my whole original point was that I think we will be faced with groups approaching businesses and probably individuals, especially um, like people with status, like actors, athletes, all that kind of stuff. And and they're going to be asked to choose sides publicly. And that will only create more division. So I would discourage anyone from joining any of those groups, no matter how you feel. And I know that my little discouragement probably won't mean much in the grand scheme of things, but I don't see the need to declare one way or another. Who knows? If it comes down to, hey, no one's going to walk into your business if you have an independent sticker on it. Well, maybe I go out of business. I don't know. I'm just starting to speculate what I think is happening. The role of the business owner has shifted immensely, and it's been interesting to watch. But just remember this. The people who are making these rules, air quotes, for these businesses do not own businesses. And I'm going to just put that right there and leave it right there at that. I think I may have mentioned a few shows back, we had a phone call at the brewery, <laughs> and I answered the phone. New Aces Brewing Company which is exactly how I answer the phone. And the lady goes, hello, I'm just calling to see like what, um, what protocols you guys are doing for COVID. And I just go, I mean, we're doing the exact same thing that everyone else is doing, and it's the bare minimum to stay open, if I'm being honest with you. And she goes, oh. And I said something along the lines of, hey, look, if you're like relying on us to keep you safe in the global pandemic, that's probably not your best option because we're not in business to keep people safe. We're in business to make beer. The only reason that we're attempting to make people safe is so that we can stay in business. But we have to draw the line. I didn't, I didn't really say all this, but this is, we had to draw the line somewhere, right? You can't spend all your money keeping people safe, and then we can't afford to buy ingredients to make beer. I mean, sorry, people. There's just, you're going to have to live your life with some personal responsibility. But the notion that people expect businesses to, quote, keep them safe, I mean, that's ridiculous, I mean, is it a nice feature? Sure. Would would it be great if it was free to keep people safe? Yeah, that'd be nice. What do you think these people would say if we just added a $10 COVID surcharge on every tab, every ticket, just so we could have the whole place covered in hand sanitizer and plexiglass? Why do you have why why is this the $10 surcharge on our bill? Oh, so that we could keep you safe. Well, I mean, shouldn't you pay for that? It's your business. Once again, the people who demand keeping them safe at your business are not the people who own businesses themselves. How about you keep yourself safe? Who, who told you, or along the lines, when did it become okay to expect businesses to keep you safe? I mean, we're not a security business. We're not a sanitizer business. We make freaking beer and barbecue. That is our job. Make the beer, make the barbecue, get it to you as fast as we can, as hot as we can, as fresh as we can, as delicious as we can. That's what we do. Keeping people safe, you need to keep yourself safe. Imagine if I walked up to a cop and I said, excuse me, sir, I need you to buckle my seatbelt 
What? Yeah, buckle my seatbelt so you can keep me safe. No, dude, at some point, you gotta buckle your own freaking seatbelt. You gotta put your own freaking helmet on, okay? If you're too scared of the virus to go somewhere in public, stay home. That's the alternative. A friend of mine was at the brewery the other day. She openly admitted that her husband is terrified of the virus. He hasn't left his house since March. Okay, that's your prerogative, you know? I can't imagine being that fearful. I really can't. But whatever, that's your prerogative. He did the right thing. He didn't leave his house since March. That's fine, dude. And, and I appreciate it. And she comes and she gets her food and she takes it home to him. And there's no issue. Obviously, there's a threshold, right? You can't expect people to come in and step over live wires to get to their table where they sit down. I get it. I understand that. But we're talking about a virus that moves in an unknown way that we can't pattern that no matter what law we put into place, no matter how many masks we make it mandatory to wear, we can't control the numbers, okay? The, the data's out there. We, we are terrible at controlling this virus because the only way to do it is for people to stay home. Regardless, you can't expect a business to jump through hoops at their own expense to make you feel a certain way, especially when... There is no clear and present danger that can be controlled. <laughs> Y'all fools, remember when I told you to buy Bitcoin? I think it was 12, Bitcoin was $12,000 a piece. Right now, $36,000. Could have tripled your money. I bet none of y'all did it either. I bet I, somebody even contacted me. I can't remember who it was. Hey, what do I need to do to buy Bitcoin? I said, easy. You go to www.coinbase.com and you follow the directions. You set up a link directly to your bank account. You click buy. You put however much money you want to spend. And that's it. You're done. It's very, very easy. Did you miss the window? I don't know. Time will tell. I did not miss the window. Okay, so that was a reminder that my prediction was right. Okay? I'm going to give you another hint. Go buy some gold. Go buy some silver. This is long term. This is not short term. This is three years, four years down the road. This is going to pay off. Gold hit an all-time high about four months ago, something like that. It's now starting to come down a little bit, but I suspect, and I don't want to like terrify anyone, I suspect we're headed for some pretty tough times. If, uh, if the laws of economics hold true, remember, economics is not theory, it's not guesswork. These are laws, right? It's like the laws of physics, okay? So while we can argue about the best way to manage monetary policy within a country— we cannot argue the things of supply and demand. Those are not up for discussion. So once again, this is all my prediction. If you don't want to believe it, you don't have to believe it. You don't, It's okay. I think we're headed for uh, a U.S. dollar collapse. I know I've probably said it before, but I'm just warning people so that you can take the steps necessary. What does that mean? What does a dollar collapse look like? Well, it's basically a point in which the dollar becomes worthless. Maybe not worthless, but it devalues, right? These are times of inflation. A little inflation is good. It's healthy. For an economy to have a little bit of inflation every year, that's a good thing. A lot of inflation is bad. And we're already starting to see the signs of it. I'm not going to go into specific details as to how this is a predictor, but you can look at the 30-year treasury note, which is starting to climb. You can look at the price of commodity futures, which is starting to go up. You can look at what Bitcoin did, which has skyrocketed through the roof. You can look at gold, which shot up and now has remained stable. All of these are predictors, right? 
Economies go in cycles. They go in little cycles and they go in big cycles. It's like the, the earth spinning around the sun. The earth spins on its own axis while it's spinning around the entire sun. Economy does the same thing. We have ups and downs, little ups, little downs, little ups, little downs. And over time, the, the Federal Reserve, which is a, it's a body kind of appointed by the government, has, put in, has been put in charge to create different types of policy to keep big, bad things from happening, right? So they can, they can raise and lower the interest rates. They can create money. They can pull supply out. They can do all these little things. They got tricks up their sleeves. The problem is that right now, they're out of tricks. They have nothing left to do, right? Interest rates have been at rock bottom for who knows how long. Um, the money supply is being flooded with printed money because of COVID. Oil prices are down. And so if we think back, even back to the 20s, with the 29, when the Great Depression hit, we had all these predictors. We had all these signs, and we saw it. We knew it was there. Well, of course, back then, we, were, we didn't know. We, we didn't know what predictors were. But since we've been through that before, we can look and we can see these things that were happening. And, and a lot of policy that has been put in place since then are things that we can do to keep it from happening again. But like I just said, we're kind of out of tricks. No, I don't want everyone to be terrified and run around like Smurfs when Gargamel's coming because I may be making it sound worse off than it would actually be. Um, something like this, in reality, I would see, you know, your, your nest egg 401k uh, shrinking by 30, 40, maybe even 50%, okay? I would see something like um, uh, the the price of basic goods is going to go up by 30 or 40, maybe even 50%. Things like milk, sugar, flour, eggs, all that stuff, all basic inputs will go up. And what that does is that drives the cost of everything else up, okay? Right now, ammo's through the roof. It's expensive. People buy ammo when they're uncertain. Either way, the reason that ammo is expensive isn't because the ammo makers are getting rich and greedy off of the dis dis increased demand. Their price of their inputs has gone up. So there's been a huge rush on brass to make the casings, lead to make the bullets, black powder to make the thing go bang. And so their, their margins are probably the same. Maybe they're making a little bit more because they're utilizing their facilities more. They're running at capacity. Uh, maybe they're a little bit more efficient than they would be otherwise. But when the cost of all the basic inputs goes up, it pushes up the cost of everything else. So you take those indicators that we've already got, and now you take Biden, whose plan is to increase minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, print another $2 trillion, um, erase student debt, which I'm still not sure how he's going to do that because if the IRS came to me <laughs> and I showed him my balance sheet, and they said, what happened to that debt? And I just said, well, I erased it. They wouldn't, it wouldn't work. So either way, uh, all of these things he wants to do will have an impact on the economy. Now, what does this mean for the, 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 the lower wage worker? Someone who may be a painter who works for 15, 20 bucks an hour. Well, he's going to want to raise because the new $15 an hour uh, federal minimum wage and now it's like, he's like, what? I was making three times minimum wage. Now I'm making minimum wage. Nah, Jack, you better raise it up. What's his employer going to do? I can't afford to pay anymore. He's like, that's fine. I'm going to go work somewhere else. He leaves. He can't get a job. We have one less painter now. And, and it's just like that, but on a grander scale. So you will have lots of unemployment. And see, 
I wouldn't feel so certain about this if it weren't for the, the, the situation that we put ourselves in with COVID, okay? We're not going to blame the disease. We're not going to blame the virus. We're going to blame the decisions that we made based on this virus. So everything that I just explained in conjunction with the government's not going to have any more money, all right? We spent all of our money on the stimulus. We've bailed out cities. We've bailed out states. Everyone is going to be strapped for cash. So that's my theory. I'll keep you abreast on it as I see little signs here and there. I'll point them out to you. But hey, listen, economies go in cycles no matter what. Even if even if we couldn't look at all these predictors and say, oh, yeah, yep, this is happening. There you go. This happened before. This is happening now. We see it. We see it. We see it. Economies go in cycles. And so if nothing else, we can look at that and say, yep, we're kind of due for a crash based on nothing but time. The thing is, if you play your cards right and you plan for it and you see it coming, you can come out ahead. You can, you can put yourself in a position to win. I mean, that's uh, some of the biggest millionaires have been made in down economies. So think about it. Think about it. If you're interested in what you can do specifically, holla at your boy. I'll tell you what I know. I was listening to a podcast last night and I heard a quote and I don't remember who it was. It was some old famous guy and he was he was comparing to the times that we're living in right now to about the the, the roaring 20s and he was showing up pointing out how all these point these signs are pointing to a second great depression-ish type scenario. And he said uh it's a four-part cycle that just repeats itself. So I'm going to go through this simple quote that kind of puts things into perspective. So we go through these four steps and then we repeat back to step one, right? So the first thing, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And then weak men create hard times. And then the cycle repeats, okay? So I'm going to repeat that again, a little bit slower. Hard times create strong men. Makes sense, right? It's times are tough. You got to work hard. You got to be strong. To me, that's that's World War II vet generation uh, people who lived through the Great Depression. Strong men create good times. Those guys came home. And the economy went nuts. They're strong men. They worked hard. Times were great after World War II, right? Good times create weak men. So that generation had a, a generation, maybe even one and a half generations after it, of weaker men, right? These guys like to work indoors. They didn't work on cars. They were just weaker all around, right? It's pretty tough to be stronger than the greatest generation on earth, the World War II guys. So that was number three. Good times create weak men. Number four, weak men create hard times. So those who aren't willing to work, those who aren't willing to to participate in the things that are uncomfortable and do the hard things create hard times. And then you repeat it. To me, it's like philosophical. Philosophical? That's a hard word. Philosophical, I guess. Gold. It made perfect sense to me. So I think we're right on the uh, weak men create hard times. I think that's where we are. Time will tell. I tell you what, though. I'm sitting here talking about we coming up up on hard times. They ain't going to be too hard, I don't think. You know why? Because I just got a text message from H-E-B saying, hey, 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 your groceries on your front porch. (laughs) We're sitting here talking about hard times and, man, I ordered groceries for my bed this morning. 
and they're on my front porch waiting for me. That being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. I got a little bit fired up today and went a little bit long, so I didn't have any time for any stories, but I'm keeping track of them. I'm plugging some stories into my iPhone, trying to talk less about things that might seem boring to you and maybe um, some things that might be exciting. I don't know. I never claimed to be a good podcaster. Actually, I never even claimed to be a podcaster. I claim to do a podcast once every week or so. And uh, my listener data shows that. <laughs> so here I am. This is episode number 75. So I hear that you could call yourself a podcaster when you hit episode 100. And if I only do one a week, 25 weeks seems like a long time. Who knows? Maybe I'll start doing more. I just don't know when. I don't know when I would do it. Thanks for listening, Life in Paradise podcast. My name's Brandon Harper, and I appreciate you tuning in. Next week, same place, same time, same everything. Keep it tranquilo.